Well, welcome. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. And uh, as I'm sitting there uh, listening to the announcements, uh, Lord, it's really testimonies of what you're doing. Lord, uh, wow, we celebrate all that uh, you have done, you are doing, and by faith you will continue to do. And, and the family shelter, the gardens, angel tree, hiking, Thanksgiving dinner, um, all glory to you, Father. Thank you uh, for the joy. Thank you for the, the genuine love uh, that is present in this church family. And, and so, Father, uh, as we uh, open your word now, uh, we desire that, that into this Advent, into this Christmas season, Lord, even today, you will speak to our hearts. Lord, and I think even we'll understand why all of those activities happen deeply and it's rooted in your love. It really ultimately comes from your love and, and I think for many it'll make more sense even um, the heart behind serving, the heart behind uh, one anothering. And so, Father, as we open your word, uh, we once again ask that uh, you would teach us. Once again, ask that you would bring not just the understanding but the application because you tell us we're not just supposed to be hearers, but also doers. So, Father, we love you, we love your word, and ask you now to speak to our hearts, and, and in that, bring the transformation for us as a church family, but also individually, as uh, we each hear and respond to your word. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Yes, we do celebrate all of that, and, and uh, the challenging part in all of those announcements sometimes is that in our culture, it just seems like a lot and just more to-dos and more activities, especially as we come into December and, and all the calendars fill up and your family's at your work and, you know, you've been here. And if we're not careful, we slide into this mode of doing and we might lose sight of really the heart behind it, the motive, the reason, right? We don't, we don't put all those up there just to fill your busy lives with more things or to make you feel guilty. Oh, now they want us to do more stuff. No. Uh, we really want you to, to participate in whatever God calls you to participate in with the right heart, the right understanding of, of what it's all about. And, and I was thinking of that because we spent November really looking at Thanksgiving and trying to get out of the holiday mode and say, well, what is the heart behind Thanksgiving? And and, and Lord, is it just an event? Is it just about stuffing ourselves? Or, or is, what's the takeaway from Thanksgiving that we're, we're to take year-round, right? Because we saw in Colossians 2, it says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in Thanksgiving. Abounding. So, so quick check, quick check, right? Uh, we were here Wednesday night. 130, 140 people had a great Thanksgiving dinner. Many of you went and did your things Thursday. Okay, now that it's over, we just move on. We just, uh, no more giving thanks till next November, and we fire it back up, right? It's that, you know, acknowledge God once a month, and then, you know, now it's Christmas. So, so let me just ask you, those who were with us uh, through November, how's your abounding in Thanksgiving continued? Are you still giving thanks? Because we saw that giving thanks isn't about, you know, getting something, isn't about a holiday. In fact, First Thessalonians says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So, 
So even after Thanksgiving, right, I don't know how many of you did Black Friday or whatever you did, are you still giving thanks in? Think about a challenging situation you're facing right now. Are you, are you giving thanks in it? Not for it, but in it, right? We looked at that. See, we can give thanks year-round in because of God's promises, amen? Right? We're to focus on the promises, not the problems, right? And then we saw in Psalm 107, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever, right? So giving thanks, we give thanks in, but we also really, ultimately, the, the root reason we give thanks is because of God's goodness. So Thanksgiving came and went, but just a reminder, God's still good all the time and all the time, right? Even on December 1st, right? And it's just a reminder, it's just a carryover. And, and I thought about that in light of Advent and Christmas because I think for Christmas, there's still the same challenges that, that you and I face. We're very holiday-centered, and if we're honest, it's very me-centered, Right? Christmas is very December 25th-ish, and most of us grew up asking and looking forward to what I'm getting on that day, right? So there's these, there's these two tensions that if we're not careful in our walk with Jesus, we gear up and we do everything as a church. We, you know, if the commons, if you haven't been there, thank you to everyone who decorated yesterday. The commons looks fabulous, right? We gear up even at the church. You gear up at your house. You got the tree. Okay, quick survey. How many trees are up? Okay, how many lights are up? How many have no idea where any of that is still? And you're going to go hunt it, right? Okay, right? So we're gearing up. We're gearing up, right? Black Friday, $4 billion was spent on Thursday. Four billion with a B was spent on Thursday, and tomorrow is Cyber Monday. So we're gearing up, right? And we're going to gear up, and we're going to run through this together. We're going to do all the hoops, and then December 26th, January 1st, we're going to, it's over. Well, you know, I think God wants us this month to walk together in the next 31 days. I think he wants to speak to our hearts about Christmas is really a launching into the rest of the year, into year-round, the rest of your life, right? And, and we're going to do that. So I'm gonna, I, I understand, but I just want to be really honest. It just, you know, sometimes you have to be honest with yourself. Christmas tends to be very one-day centered, very event-driven. And for me growing up, it was very me-centered. So right off the bat, you're going to have to kind of wrestle with that as we walk through the next 31 days. Lord, speak to my heart to understand your love not just for one day, not just because, you know, Jesus was born, but what does it mean for me every day, 24-7, 365, right? So we're going to start big picture, Christmas. We're going to start big picture. It's a video. If you've been here on Christmas Eve services, I'd like to show this one because it really reminds us that December 25th, that's the day that we celebrate it traditionally, that the birth of Christ, which was a historical event, is really part of God's big plan. Right? We tend to elevate it. We tend to say, oh, it's all about Christmas, all about Christmas, or Easter, whatever, those two biggies, right? Really, God's been working his love plan for a very long time. Amen? So let's sit back and let's enjoy God's plan. I love that video because it really kind of contextualizes the event of Jesus' birth and, and makes this timeline, and, and it's kind of this really broad-brushed, of, wow, okay, okay. 
And here's the crazy thing. My prayer for us through December is that we'll go from here all the way down to here. That you'll understand that that story is your story. And you're invited to be a part of God's story even today. Even today, a verse that you'll hear throughout the month uh, very frequently is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And as I was thinking of that, and in all the years we've been doing ministry, all the Christmas Eve services, you know, that verse is very, very common. And I was thinking about it, and again, and, and, and usually, you know, you say that he gave, and we focus on gift, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, and we'll probably come back to it sometime this month. But the word that really struck me for us this month in, in 2019 is, is God so loved. God's love. Like, what is that? What does it really mean to be loved by God? Right? Do we really understand that? Or is that one of those churchy words, you know, hey, Jesus loves you. Hey, God loves you. Right? And we've heard it so much that we're just numb to that. What does it really mean that the God of the universe that God that we're allowed to call Abba, Papa, Daddy, because we are followers of Christ. What does it really mean that He loves you as you sit here? You are loved. You are loved by the God of the universe, your Father. He loves you. He knows everything that you did, everything that you said, all your decisions, everything you think. There's nothing hidden from His sight. That's what the Bible says. He loves you as you sit here. He's loving you. What does that mean? What, is that, what, is, what do you do with that, right? And in fact, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the, the Christians at Ephesus, he had this heart for them to know the love of God. This is what he says in Ephesians. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you... Right? the church, you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. He wanted them to be rooted and grounded in love, right? And he, and he uses these two images, right? Rooted is a plant with, with solid roots, right? Grounded is an architectural term. He's talking building foundations, solid. He says, hey, church, hey, Christians, I want you to be rooted. I want you to be solidly built on God's love. He's praying this for them, right? And then he says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. That word comprehend, right, means much more than understand. Okay, I know many of us think reading comprehension, did you understand it, right? It means literally to take eagerly or to seize and thus to make something one's own or to hold as one's own. It means to not only understand it, but to take it as yours. Right? I love this quote by Warren Wiersbe. He, he helps us understand it. He says, The English words comprehend and apprehend both stem from the Latin word pihendere, which means to grasp. We say that a monkey has a prehensile tail. That is, its tail is able to grasp a tree limb and hold on. Our word comprehend carries the idea of mentally grasping something, while apprehend suggests laying hold of it for yourself. In other words, it is possible to understand something, but not really make it your own. 
Paul's concern is that we lay hold of the vast expanses of the love of God. See, that's my prayer for us. That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for my family. That's my prayer for us as a church family that in this next 31 days of December, not only will we comprehend better the love of God, but you're going to take hold of it. You will grasp it. You will apprehend it. You will take the love of God as your own. Now that right off the bat for some of you who maybe grew up in loving homes and affirming homes and you've heard, I love you, I love you a lot, you know, you're kind of like, okay, that's cool, yeah, that's easy for me. Some people in here are listening online, you're challenged with this whole idea of being loved to that degree. You get it here in your head, but to grasp it, to apprehend it, to make it your own, some of you are resistant to that. You may not even like it. It scares the, scares you. You're scared to death to be loved. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you're wounded. And you've heard God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. But on the human experience level, you've been betrayed. You were worked. You were used by people who said they love you, Right? Maybe parental figures, maybe authority figures, right? And so this God of the, this big authority figure, God, is now saying, and we're communicating through his word that he loves you. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Part of me really likes that. Part of me doesn't really like that. And part of me right now is having a hard time with that. I get that. I get that. I personally have my own experiences with, with not just understanding God's love, not just comprehending it, but apprehending it. And it took um, time for me, and it took not just reading his word, it not just um, learning worship songs and learning to worship, really, but quite frankly, it took the love of some dear brothers in Christ who are older than me for me to get God's love. He, he brought some people into my life that demonstrated God's love and really kind of broke down a lot of the barriers I had as this 22-year-old guy at UCLA who didn't need nobody, thank you very much, just fine, you know. And then I get saved, I'm in a small group, and, you know, they want to hold hands and pray, and I'm like, what are you guys doing? You know, hold hands and pray and show up at church, and they want to hug you. It's like, why are you touching me? You know, I hug, what's this hugging stuff? And then older guy says, hey, I want to get to know you. Why don't you come over to my house? We'll have coffee and, and breakfast. I'm like, why? I just want to get to know you. Why? I just, dude, you know, you come to the church, you're plugged in, and, and I think it, I just want to get to know you. Why? Like, what do you want? What do you want from me? What's, what's in it for you? This whole idea of somebody genuinely just caring and loving for me, for me, with no performance, no grade, no GPA, no, you know, I'm just me, myself and me. The idea that someone could just want to do that and take time out of their day and, and wake up early and invite me to their house for coffee for me without, with no agenda, right? This is how jaded I was to this whole love thing. We were at a church in San Diego and the men's ministry person comes up and says, Hey guys, we're starting men's ministry Great discipleship program, right? And they're announcing it week after week. And my wife, every, you know, that 
would be good. That would be really good for you. You should go. You'll meet some guys. You, you know, it would be good for you. Every week, the announcement. I dreaded the announcement because I knew I was going to get the vibe. Yeah. How many guys know the vibe? The that would be good for you vibe. Thank you, Dave. Wow, that was like, woo! Right? And so, so after church, you know, this has gone on. So after church, we're, you know, I'm trying to leave. And she's like, hey, they made that announcement again about that men's ministry thing. And I was done. I was like, okay, that's it. That's it. So I turned to her and I said, and I was like angry. I, this was coming from, you know, this whole past. I said, I don't want to be someone's project. Needless to say, she never brought it up again. And it was like quiet ride home. Right? Literally, I don't even know where that came from, but I was so put off by men's ministry and one another and connect and let's do this together. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? And in my mind, they're trying to love in one another me. And in my mind, I'm, I'm like so suspicious and so jaded to this whole Christian love thing because of my own bad experiences growing up that I was like interpreting as like I'm their project child. I'm going to go to this room. All the guys are going to have it together and I'm going to be the problem child. Who wants to join that? But that's how jaded I was to this whole love thing. And so if you're struggling with just the God of the universe just loving you, I get it. That's why this isn't a one-off. We're going to walk through this together. And that's my prayer in, in 31 days. Literally, this is, I feel like you know, this prayer, the same prayer that Paul is praying, I pray for you. Right, he says that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That word know, again, most of us think, think head knowledge. That's a very, a very uh, specific word. It's, in the Greek, it's gnosko. It means experience. Right? It's kind of like uh, if you go to the commons... After service, there's a, I think there's a bunch of cupcakes, right? So there's a bunch of cupcakes, and you could stare at the cupcake and say, yeah, I know about that cupcake. It's got icing on it. It looks chocolate. looks nice. I know a lot about the cupcake, but when I bite into the cupcake, that's gnosko. Then I know the cupcake. It's experience, right? That's what he's talking about. The, the word know is kind of like when a husband and wife know each other intimately. That's no. That's what they're talking about here. So the Apostle Paul says, I want you to have an experience. I want you to experientially know the love of God. See, how many of us experientially know the love of God? We get it here. We even like it. We come to church and we feel good because there's a lot of loving people here. But do you really know, experientially know? Can you say that you know the love of God, not just comprehension, but apprehension. Is it yours? Is this this deep sense deep in you that I am loved, I am loved, I am loved by the most important person in the universe. I am loved. He loves me. He loves me. That's what we're talking about. That's his heart, right? J.B. Phillips says, the very spring of our actions 
is the love of Christ. Everything you do in my, your life, everything I do in my life, family shelter, going to the gardens, going to Triple C, everything springs from the love of Christ. His love to us. The love of. Everyone say of. Okay. Very important word. If you, if you know, and we were talking about Thanksgiving, it was in, not just for, right? Words matter. And in the next few weeks, we're going to look at the difference between of and for. Do you know the love of Christ? Experientially. Because a lot of us jump right to, well, I'm, why are you doing that? Well, I'm doing a lot for God because I love God. See, we do a lot for him because we love him. I'm not talking about the four. Before the four is the of. Because the of leads to the four. That's where, we get, that's where you get twisted in knots, church. That's where it becomes duty, obligation, busyness, right? If you're caught up in four, doing all this for God, because I love God, but you've never experientially enjoyed and been overwhelmed with the love of God, you got it flipped. You flipped it. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Do you experientially know, have you grasped it and said, oh, the love of God is mine. Oh, right? That's what we're talking about. First John 4.19, here's the order. We love because he first loved us. There's the order. We do family shelter. We bake cupcakes. We come to Thanksgiving dinner. We serve. Everything you and I do in our life first comes from Him. Amen? He is the source. He is the initiator. We love because He first loved us. Everything in my life that I do is because of Him first. He's the source of it all. If you flip it and you start doing a lot of four, 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 you're going to burn yourself out. And your Christianity is going to turn into grace, uh, not grace, it's going to turn into works and keeping score and comparing yourself. And it's never going to be enough because you keep doing four and four and four. A lot of the church is tied up there. And you lose your joy. And now you have to. You have to. You have to. Oh, you got to be real careful with that. John 13. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And this is Jesus. Jesus. And just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to share, or also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Oftentimes, what do we do? We read that, and what do we do? What do how do you read that? What, is the, what do you leave when you read that? Most of us say, I got to go love people, right? I got to go love. Look, it says right here, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Okay, I got to go love one another. But what does it say? There's an order there. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another 
just as I have loved you. Do you know how he's loved you? Have you experienced his love? How are you going to love one another in the same way that he loves you if you're not living there in his love? Love one another just as I have loved you. How are you going to do that if you don't even experience your own life, his love for you? If you're not living in the love of God, in the love of Christ, how are you going to do that to others? Now it's just going to become serving and doing and da 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 No. Right? F.B. Meyer says this. As, as the sunlight strikes the moon and is reflected from her to the earth, so the love we have to Christ or to man is the reflection of his love to us. All love in our cold and loveless hearts is the emanation and reflection of the love which began in him, was mediated to us in Calvary, and is reflected from us as sunlight from a mirror. See, he's the source. What, he's the source. What he's saying is you're going to go love one another. You want to be salt and light. You want to make an impact in your family. You want to make an impact in this community, in this world. You've got you to gotta start with receiving the love of God. And that's not a selfish thing. That's a biblical thing. Have you experientially, even daily, do you receive the love of God? Deep down, do you believe it? Do you, do you hold on to it? His love for you. Constantly, right? Because if you don't settle this issue and keep the order right, it can spin you and you can drift. And then your motives for, for all the Christian stuff that I tell you you should do and da, 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 right? Your motives get all out of whack. Well, what do you mean? Well, suddenly you're doing things out of guilt. Suddenly you're doing stuff around here to get status and pride, right? You might even be creating your own little merit system, giving yourself brownie points for the things you do. It can turn grace, right? We're saved by grace through faith. We talk about it being a gift. You can turn grace into an obligation because now you're trying to pay back God. Many Christians are trying to pay back God for the gift of Jesus on the cross. See, here's the thing. If I give Scott a gift, right? Here, Scott. Have a piece of paper. (laughs) And I say, it's a gift. And he says, thank you. But internally, he's already thinking of how to pay me back for it. It's no longer a gift, is it? He's turned it into an obligation. That's what a lot of us do as Christians. You get the idea that Jesus was born, he was crucified, he rose, and you slid into four, and now you're trying to pay him back for what he did. It's not out of the love of and this overwhelming sense of love and gratitude and he's pouring into you and you're just pouring out back to him. No, you turned the gift of salvation into an obligation. And you're trying to pay him back. You're trying to show Father that you weren't really that bad. You're trying to show Father that you do earn it. Look what I do at the church, see? 
See, you sent Jesus to die for me, so I guess I have to do my part. You're turning the gift into an obligation. It's no longer a gift. When you say, thank you, and you're humbled by the gift, and you simply receive the gift, and the gift floors you, everything in your life changes. Everything in your life changes. Because whatever I do now is just out of the sense of being overwhelmed by the gift. I'm not trying to pay it back. I'm just so overwhelmed. I got to do something. I got to give. Amen. You, you understand what I'm saying? I wonder how many of us today. I'll take my gift back. How many? <laughs> how many of us maybe today are still thinking you have to pay back God for His gift? So you just flipped grace into an obligation. It's no longer grace. What is the definition of grace? Unmerited favor. Hey, want this gift? It's unmerited favor. Sure. And in your mind, you're just trying to merit it. You turned grace and the gift into an obligation and a burden and a weight. That's the law. You turned the gift back into the law. But instead of trying to earn it, you're trying to show, you're trying to merit it after the fact. Right? So the law was pre, hey, I'm going to earn, earn, earn my way to heaven. A lot of Christians in our church... You received Jesus, and now you're post-law. You're trying to prove that you post-merited it. You're trying to work off the debt. That's what a lot of us are doing. You're trying to work it off. It's no longer a gift then, is it? It's no longer grace then. And as some of you are like, well, what do I do? I'm, I, I, feel, I feel like I, I need to do something. Anyone ever feel that way? I need, it's so overwhelming. What do you mean it's just a gift? What do you mean he sent Jesus and it was all part of the plan that I saw there? You mean it's all a gift and I'm not supposed to try to merit it? I'm not supposed to try to pay back God? What do I do then? Ah, that's a great question, isn't it? Love them! Love them! Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? I don't know. You love them. That's, that's where if Randy is overwhelmed by the gift and he just says, I love you, God. Well, God's going to show him how to love him. He's going to lead and direct you and it's going to be different for all of you. I can't tell you how you're supposed to manifest your love for God. That's unique to your relationship with him. That's unique to the gift set that he's given you, the resources he's given you, the time he's given you, the people he's put into your life. That's all on you. I'm just telling you, let it come from a place of the love of. Let it come from that place. So maybe today you need to stop paying back God. Stop trying to merit it. You never will. When's enough enough? How are you ever going to call it good for Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you? When would you call it good? You can't. That was the whole point. That's the whole point is to be brought to your knees and throw your hands up and say, have mercy on me, a sinner, and receive it. That was the whole point. But churches can miss this. We can as a church drift. Look what happened to the church of Ephesus in Revelation. 
to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, church, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. See, even as a church, we can lose sight of God's love for us. We get all busy. We're real orthodox. We have really solid Bible studies, good theologically. We could do it all apart from loving Him. Right? 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not what? I gain nothing. Nothing. It's all rooted, back to his prayer, grounded and rooted in love. But not love for, love of. Love of, the love of God for you. As you sit here right now, 11-10, December 1st, are you experientially apprehending the love of God? Is it the spring of all your actions? Everything you're going to do when you leave here, is it going to come from the love of God for you? Or are you going to go leave here and try to pay back God and merit what he already did? That's a choice we make, right? The Apostle Paul explains his motive for his ministry, right? 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So question, what compels you? Because the Apostle Paul right there he just says, hey guys, if you, know, you want to know what I'm about in my ministry, you want to know why I do what I want to do, why I do what I do, you want to know my heart, you want to know what, what, what is, I'm rooted and grounded in, it's right there. Christ's love compels me. It's the love of Christ. See, the Apostle Paul, he's very aware of what he was doing before he met Jesus. And it's this overwhelming experience of Christ's love that compels him. To be an ambassador of reconciliation. It's Christ's love. Right? And, and that, that word compel is like someone walking through this, uh, this like gorge with, with really high walls on either side and you have to only go that direction because you're hemmed in. He says, Christ's love is so overwhelming in my life, it hems me in. I can't help but do this. He's compelled. So question, what compels you to do what you do? Money, success, followers, right? Acceptance, insecurity, fear. What's compelling you? What compels you to do what you do in your life? Payback. What compels you? And I mean, I can even, let me, let me just ask you this. What compelled you to come to church? Why'd you come today? 
with the love of God and just say, I, oh God, I love you so much. I got to go. I, I got to go with, be with your people. I got to go worship you. I got to be with the church. Were you compelled by the love of God to come here? Right? What compels you? What drives you? Why do you do what you do? The Apostle Paul says, you want to know why I do what I do? The love of Christ. Christ's love compels him. What compels you? What's compelling you? Right? It says, this love suggests the Lord seizing us to hold us and maintain us in his sovereign and exclusive possession. It takes possession of us so forcefully that it compels us to love in return and wraps up our whole being. More than pressure, it is a compulsion that orients our whole life and all our conduct. This is what we're talking about. This is the power of the love of God. When someone gets just has a Damascus Road moment with the love of God, watch out. That person is now like this. And that love of God might be manifested here in Ojai. They might send you around the world. Who knows? But it's based on the love of God. You're not going to go be a missionary and go do something crazy because you're trying to merit something for God. You're going out of the love of God. I love you so much, God. Here's my life. Send me wherever. And you know, here's the crazy thing. He might say, really? Send you wherever? He's like, yeah, Lord, I love you so much. Send me wherever. He's like, really? Anywhere? Yeah. Okay, send me anywhere. Yeah, look, I love you so much. Send me anywhere. Anywhere? Okay, yeah. Okay, across the street. This valley needs people compelled by the love of God just to go across the street and share the love of God. Not debate, not argue, whatever. Bake some Christmas cookies. Bring them to your, amen from Randy, right? (laughs) Bring them to your neighbor. What's this? I don't know. I just want to share the love of God with you. Here you go. Don't debate them. Don't force spiritual laws them. Don't read the book of Leviticus to them. Just give them cookies. (laughs) Out of the love of God. Amen. You see, do you get it? You get what happens? Now, someone might say, I love you so much, God. Anywhere, anywhere. Anywhere? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I need you in. And he might send you. But the heart's the same. The heart of surrender, the heart of submission, the heart of let's go. I just, I, I can't help but love you wherever you put me. It's the same whether it's across the street or across the world. Amen? That's what we're talking about. That's what Christmas is about. Right? Right? Many of you know that, that I was in law school at one point, graduated UCLA, went to law school, and at a certain point I felt called to the ministry. You're like, well, how did you know what happened with that? Here's the thing. There was no grand plan for me to end up on this stage back from 1990 when that all happened. I was a young believer, and I was about two years into my faith, trying to figure it out. Grew up from a very performance-driven family and um, trying to figure out this whole grace thing and God's love thing and it took I was reading I was listening work, you know all this kind of stuff and and over time it dawned on me that God loved me overwhelmingly loved me I didn't have to prove 
anything, nothing left to prove. Didn't have to measure up to my brothers and sisters, valedictorians, Naval Academy, Air Force Academy. I didn't have to measure up anymore to them. God loved me. And I honestly, for a long time, I didn't know what to do with that because I was now lost. My whole paradigm of trying to prove myself to the world and earn my way and be successful, that the, the, the whole paradigm got flipped on its head when I, ex- when I understood that God loved me. My whole life had been built on proving myself and earning. And I was really good at it. And when God's love came in and flipped it, I was lost. I, was, I, I didn't really know what to do. I'm just being honest. And I was reframing it. You know, they say the Apostle Paul, after he got saved, I think it's in Galatians, he left for a couple years, like to the wilderness. And people think he left for two years because he had to refigure it all out. Like, whoa, let me figure this out. And sometimes I felt like that was my apostle. Let me figure this out. And so in the process, I was like, okay, Lord, whatever you want me to do. It wasn't like law school was bad and being a lawyer was evil and I can't do that anymore. No, it was like, here I am. And it just, through a process, opened doors in ministry, and I just kind of walked that way. And, but it was all rooted that he loved me, and I was set free from trying to earn and pay back and perform. All the GPA was gone, all the awards were gone, and, and it was just me. God loves me. And that's kind of led me to leave law school. And, and then, you know, we're having this baptism, this baptism today. And, and it's really interesting. We, in San Diego at our church, we would go to Mission Bay for the baptisms because it was a large church and it was kind of cool. They wanted to use it as a, as a kind of a testimony. See, here's the thing. It, there's this strange part of when we say we're going to do baptisms, there's this human part like, oh, you know, what are people going to think about me? And it turns self into self. Oh, I'm scared, you know, should I get it? I'm going to be in front of everyone. It's really weird how that happens. For me, as a young believer, when I understood the love of God and the baptism opportunity came up, I was like, I'm in. I love God so much, why would I want to be baptized? It was a no-brainer. It wasn't even about me. I just love God. And he said, be baptized. I look, okay. Just be baptized. It was that simple. It wasn't like getting all theological. Just, I just loved him and I wanted to just do what he said. I just loved him. So there's a baptism at Mission Bay. I'm there. No questions asked. Because of the love of God. But we get all kind of like weird. It's like, can, imagine if, if, if Jordan, right, he, he proposed to Shiloh at Michael's, right, on Friday, Black Friday, right, in, in the aisle, and we had it all set up. And imagine Jordan gets on his knee and says what he's going to say, and, and Shiloh says, you know, yeah, I'll marry you, but do I have to tell anyone? <laughs> yeah, I'll marry you, but do I have to wear the ring all the time? What do you, what do you mean? Well, you know, I, I don't know, it's uncomfortable. Do I have to wear it all the time, Jordan? And do I really have to tell everyone? Isn't that kind of weird? Like, if, but we do that with God. Like, I love you, God. We'll get baptized. Oh, really? But do I have to? You should just want to. See, we, we get in our heads so much in the church, and we try to figure out the right way and what's right and what to, and what to, to, to and it's like, just love them. Just let him love you. 
Right? Right? Just let him love you. Let him love you. Stop getting in your head so much. If you get off theologically, biblically, we'll call you out around here. That's fine. Because we, we have to, right? We'll do it in love. But please stop trying to overthink what it is to love God. Now, why do we overthink it? Because we're living in the four. Four, 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 four. If you live in the of, he will rock your world. He will challenge you to let go of all your insecurities and everything you're holding on to and all your traditions and all your sacred cows. He will challenge you to let it all go and just hold on to him. And it's all because he loves you. What does that mean for your future? I don't know. That's your walk with him. That's your walk with him. Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, here's the deal. And this is this I told the guys this morning in our meeting. I can only take you this far. This verse says, God's love, the love of God, is poured out into your heart and my heart by the Holy Spirit. I can't force feed you this. I can bring you right here and say, open up and choose. This is as far as I can kind of take you. Part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to pour, pour, continually, excessively pour God's love for you into your heart. That's what this verse says. He wants to be pouring continuously his love into your heart. That's what this verse says. It's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit. And I often say this to people, that door is locked from the inside. It's up to you. It's up to you to open it. It's locked on the inside. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to pour God's love into your heart. You got the key. You got the you're on the other side. Open it up. Some of you are like so stoked right now. Some of you are so terrified right now. Because you don't know what that means. I don't know what that means because it's a supernatural work of God. I have no idea what it means in your life if you open up that door wide and God's Holy Spirit pours his love for you extravagantly. I have no idea what's going to happen to your life other than it's going to be really good. It's going to be really, really good. But you've got to make the choice. I can't, I can't force feed you. It's like sometimes we think of Christianity as like an arranged marriage. Like, hey, come, come meet Jesus. He's a really nice guy, and you should really hang out with him, and you should really follow him, right? And you're like, oh, I don't know, right? What's he look like? I don't know, but he's got a really good personality. You know what I mean? It's like we try to set people up with Jesus. 
That's, Christianity isn't about, it's not like setting people up with Jesus. You've got to choose. I can't have you have an arranged marriage with Jesus. You've got to make that choice. Parents, I want to encourage you. Raise your kids the best way you know how. But the best thing you can do for your kids is let the love of God wash over you. And let your kids see what it is like for mommy and daddy to be overwhelmed by the love of God. That's what they need to see. That's what they need to see. You teach them biblical principles. You raise them in the best way you know how in God's wisdom. But what they really need to see is mommy and daddy overwhelmed by the love of God. Okay? I just, I just want to encourage you with that. That's what you can do. You pray for your kids. Let God love you, mom and dad. He knows your heart. He knows your biggest fears and your biggest concerns for your kids. But here's the deal. You can't control them. You can't control them. You can't set up an arranged marriage with your kid in Jesus. Teach them biblical truth. But what they really, what will really impact them is seeing you overwhelmed by the love of God. That's what we'll speak. That's what we'll speak, right? Romans 5.8 says this, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. When you're at your worst, when I was at my worst, living for myself, not giving a rip about God or the church or anything, when I was out there doing my thing in high school and college, the story happened. I didn't do anything to merit being part of this story. God did it. He initiated the story. <sighs> Sometimes we're so familiar with the spectacular, it doesn't move us as it should. John Piper says this, we have to look at something lesser, be amazed, and then look back to really feel the wonder of the original. So uh, John Piper shares this story. Chuck Colson told the story of a group of American prisoners of war during the Second World War, who were made to do hard labor in a prison camp. Each had a shovel and would dig all day, then come in and give an account of his tool in the evening. One evening, 20 prisoners were lined up by the guard and the shovels were counted. The guard counted 19 shovels and turned in rage on the 20 prisoners, demanding to know which one did not bring back his shovel. No one responded. The guard took out his gun and said that he would shoot five men if the guilty prisoner did not step forward. After a moment of tense silence, a 19-year-old soldier, the age of my Ben, he says, stepped forward with his head bowed down. The guard grabbed him, took him to the side, and shot him in the head and turned to warn the others that they better be more careful than he was. When he left... The men counted the shovels, and there were 20. The guard had miscounted. And the boy had given his life for his friends. I read that, and you just go, what? 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 
1 John, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What? What? You know, I read that story of a 19-year-old soldier taking one for his boys. And I read that story of Jesus taking one for me. And I'm floored by the love of God all over again. Like, what? And I just share this with you. You know, this is the journey I'm on. This is what I have to choose to just sit there long enough into the busyness of my schedule and all the calls and all the texts and all the stuff, all the things that's been happening. I have to quiet my life long enough to let God remind me how much He loves me. You got to make the time. You got to choose. Let God remind you daily of His love for you. You got to let that come over you. You got to, you got to. And here's the crazy thing. You might not even fully understand it this morning. Like, what? Really? Yeah, really. Bible says, yeah, really. Yeah, really. That's how much God loves you. And it's a gift. It's a gift and you just receive it. And everything in you is going to want to try to pay it back. You can't, so don't even try. You receive it, and you're uncomfortable, and it makes you go, oh, 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 and suddenly it's like, okay, you got me. That's the only response. The only response to the love of God is, here I am, send me. That's the only response to the love of God, not payback. It is not payback. It's just loving Him. The response to God's love is love kind of all it is. Father, we thank you. Thank you. It's December 1st. The theme of the Advent reading was love. And that's such a churchy word that we take it for granted. But the Apostle Paul knew that he had to pray. He prayed for the church in Ephesus, that they would know your love. He prayed that they would comprehend, apprehend your love. Father, I read about that story of that 19-year-old soldier who laid down his life for his friends. And it floors me to think that Jesus willingly laid his life down for me at my worst. If you're here this morning and you've never received the love of God, just receive the love of God. The Bible says you're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift. Receive the gift. Put your faith in Jesus. Just receive the gift. That's how much God loves you. And if you're here and you've been a believer and maybe you drifted into works and payback and... All this kind of, just come back. Come back this morning to the love of God. The love of God. The Apostle Paul said it was the love of God that compelled him. Let the love of God compel you. If you need to confess, confess. 
But this morning, let the love of God be poured out into your heart through the Holy Spirit. Unlock the door. Invite Him in.